Good evening. It's good to uh, sit before you once again, uh, especially good to be sitting, and uh, as always. And uh, I, I would like to um, ask you to open up your Bibles to the book of Judges. We're going to take kind of a, a leapfrogging, skipping around kind of view of the first three chapters of Judges. Um, but I hope it won't be too long of a lesson, and I hope it'll actually be quite a practical lesson. Um, but I want to talk today about the character of Othniel, the first judge in the book of Judges. And uh, you probably haven't heard that many sermons about Othniel because in terms of the amount of space that's given to him in the biblical text, uh, he's a pretty minor character. But I think he's actually pretty important uh, in that he's the first judge, uh, first of all. And I think he's going to set an important template for us, especially looking forward uh, through the rest of Israel's history and toward the time of Christ. Um, so, uh, with that being said, let's start in, in, uh, in Judges, uh, chapter one. In Judges chapter one, uh, we're introduced to, uh, to Othniel, uh, the, to remind you, in Joshua, uh, there are 31 battles, and Joshua is 31 and, and 0 against, uh, the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. Uh, and then it's given to the next generation that's led by uh, by some of the elders of the preceding generation to finish the conquering of the land of Canaan, uh, which they proceed to not do very effectively. Um, but uh, we see beginning in verse 11, from there they went up against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kiriath-Sefer. Uh, um, okay, so uh, my understanding is that this uh, the, the the name of this uh, city uh, in in the Canaanite language was something like Hill of the Scroll. It's speculated this might have been something of a center of education for the Canaanites. Um, but uh, Debir in Hebrew uh, often ha would have reference to uh, you know the the uh, the back of or or the uh, the uh, the the back of the tabernacle, aka the Holy of Holies. So it denoted uh, there, there was a kind in this name change. There's a replacement of uh, the great things of this foreign culture uh, or this rather this um, pagan culture and replacing it with uh, the uh, the culture of the people of God. Uh, and you see here also Caleb, uh, who is still alive. He was a former mighty warrior of the people of God, but he's quite old now. Uh, and so in verse twelve he says, and Caleb said. He who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will give him Aksa, my daughter, for a wife. All right, so uh, Caleb, he's he's looking to the next generation. Uh, he gives a challenge to conquer this city, and furthermore, he's got this this daughter uh, named Aksa, and her name means ankle ornament or ankle bracelet. And he doesn't want to marry her off to any old riffraff, right? So he wants to give her in marriage. Uh, to a man who he knows will risk everything, even his life, for the cause of the people of God. So, you know, fathers in the room, I'm sure you 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 can relate to this, especially if you have daughters. If you hope to someday marry off your daughter, if you if you have to, uh, you want her to be married to uh, to a guy like this, a guy who is uh, uh, you know going to risk everything for the people of God. Further, uh, as we go down through this this little uh, uh, bit of information here, uh, in verse thirteen, uh, so Caleb is, has issued this uh, this challenge. He's going to give his daughter as a wife to the man who captures the city. Uh, 
Othniel, the son of Kenaz, uh, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. And he, Caleb, gave him Aksa, his daughter, for a wife. When she came to him, Caleb, she urged her, oh, well, when she came to him, Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing, since you have set me in the land of the Negev, and give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her, gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. So, Aksa, by being bold and stepping up and asking her father for this additional blessing, in addition to the field that she had already received, brings on her and Othniel's family an additional delight, an extra gift uh, from the patriarch. Um, and I think there's a lesson there about us being bold and going before our father and asking for the things that we need. But I guess I can leave that for another sermon that's just occurring to me, but... Uh, Othniel honored the generation of Caleb by demonstrating that he had the ability to fight the battles of God for the next generation. So he cast out one of the last strongholds, and uh, he held it all his life, it seems, because when we're going to see from him in chapter 3, when he becomes judge over Israel, he comes from the city of Debir. Um, and Othniel uh, showed his ability and willingness to risk as a young man because he did that. He got the girl. Um, and so there's a lesson for young men. Uh, uh, take, take risks, uh, and, you, and you sometimes, if God wills it, get the girl. So uh, there's lots of lessons here for young people. And actually, at the end, I'm going to make a series of applications that I think can, uh, can uh, apply to everybody, but I hope apply especially to young people. Um, but this is what we see in Judges chapter 1. Then moving on to Judges chapter 2, I want to hit a couple of high points here. Um, Judges chapter 2 tells us that after Caleb is gone, there's a generation that knows not God. Um, that was uh, in verse 10 of, of Judges chapter 2 was our scripture reading for today. And we can see here that it's, it's, it's easy, you know, uh, it only takes a generation for a culture to lose the knowledge of God. Let's look at... Let's look at um, Judges, uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance, in Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all of that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. In the Judges, when people lose sight of God, God will raise up someone to show them the power of God. That's always necessary when they forget uh, uh you know, the, the knowledge of God, the ways of God. But how does this generational slide happen? Well, for the people of Israel, uh, in, uh, in Judges, it was a few things. It was, one, an incomplete conquest of the land, which was a result of a failure uh, to implement the judgment that had already been pronounced by God. Secondly, I think that they had some things that they had never had before. They had 
material, they had property, they had land, which they hadn't had in Egypt. And it was easy to become contented. They, it was easy to misconstrue the proper values. And I think the same can be true for us. If we have too many material comforts, if we become too trusting in the things of this world, it's quite easy for us to forget where our real values should lie. But further, if we, if we backtrack a little bit in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we see that they also uh, failed to repent, even after an angel of the Lord uh, appears to them. And this angel of the Lord is often uh, associated uh, with, with Christ, with God the Son. Um, and so let's read that in, uh, in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, the angel of the Lord went up to Gilgal, to, to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. So an angel of the Lord comes and reveals this to them, and initially uh, there is a, a, a lot of uh, repentance, but the repentance doesn't actually result in a long-term change. And so uh, there's a failure on the part of this new generation to take on the old uh, the, or the values of their parents' generation and make them their own. Um, and so we have a, a kind of uh, sense of moral lost. Uh, there, there is a sense that the people of Israel are morally lost. They have lost their bearings um, in terms of how they relate to God and their fellow man. So, again, in, in Judges, we see this continual pattern that the people will sink to new levels of sin and depravity, and then God will raise up a judge. So the first in this line of judges is Othniel, that guy that conquered the city back in chapter 1. And Othniel's name actually means Lion of God. Um, and the judges are righteous or otherwise gifted men and women that, that God asked to serve, kind of both as messengers and leaders and, and also uh, judges in the sense that they would, they would literally judge matters for the people. Uh, in this time that would come before the monarchy uh, that's going to come later. And, you know, some of these judges get chosen because they have exceptional qualities. I'm thinking particularly of Samson um, or uh, Deborah, the prophetess. Uh, Samson had great physical abilities. Deborah, it seems, had great uh, spiritual abilities and insights. I don't know that Othniel is really chosen for any of these reasons because uh, we aren't or if he was, we aren't get, we aren't told any of these qualities that he has. He's not really described very much at all, other than in that name, Lion of God. And I suspect that he was chosen not for any uh, uh, extraordinary quality, but rather for a rather ordinary but strong unmovableness, a rock solidness in his faith. Um, I think Othniel was kind of the the kook. He was kind of the old fundy, you know. He was the one in his generation who still held to the standards 
of the generation of Caleb. And how quickly we forget uh, with the spread, uh, you know, how quickly the, the spread, uh, you know, culture, a culture's values can be lost if there's no one in the new generation to defend them. So if this is true, then, then when the time comes, it makes sense that Othniel is the one who's going to lead his people uh, 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 to victory with the help of God. Um, so let's look at the main meat of this story, which we find in Judges chapter 3. In Judges chapter 3, um, in Judges chapter 3, in a very brief description, we're going to see Othniel save the day for uh, uh, his children's generation. Up to this point, he's honored the generation that's come before him in Caleb, and uh, we just discussed how he's kind of uh, honored his, his peers by living up to those standards that came before him that were set down by God and honored by his fathers. And then now we're going to see how he delivers the people of Israel for the next generation uh, in Judges chapter 3. But not only we see in verse 7, not only had this generation forgotten God, but they had fully compromised with the surrounding culture. Let's look at uh, Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, they forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So there we see, they fully compromised with the outside culture. And as the illiteracy of the biblical, the, the spiritual illiteracy grows, uh, and the compromise with the surrounding culture grows, we see the conditions growing for, inevit for an inevitable implosion. Verse 8. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rish, Rishathaim, I, th I think is how that is pronounced, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim, Rishathaim eight years. Okay, so this name, which I have trouble pronouncing, um, this name means Cushan the doubly wicked, or Cushan of the double wickedness. Um, this foreign ruler is oppressing them, and in verse 9, we're told the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. It's as though the Lord wants the children of Israel to know what it's like to be god um we know from romans 1 and other places in the bible that that god often will give people uh, over to their worst nature uh G god will often allow people to be punished by by their own wickedness uh, in, in other words you know god will often let people in the scripture beat themselves with their own stick um this cult this is the the children of israel are a culture that once knew god and were quite close to with him and in the space of two or three generations, have lost a knowledge of God and respect for God. So that kind of culture uh, maybe can be uh, scared straight, so to speak, or at least corrected uh, temporarily by having an interaction with a culture that has no knowledge of or respect uh, for God. That kind of a culture uh, is a bad one to live in, and it's a worse one to be invaded by, they're going to find. Um, 
So after much prayer, we see in verse 9, God raises them up a deliverer. And who does God raise up? The oldest guy anybody can, can remember, this old warrior, this guy that hasn't been shaken by the tide of change, this guy that has resisted um, the course of things, and he's the last one left of his generation. Now, he's not doing this alone. We see that in verse 10. In verse 10, it says, The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathim. Okay. Um, you can almost imagine, and maybe this is just my mind creating this, but you can imagine Othniel rallying the people and giving them a different rallying cry speech than, than, than they might have expected. Because it doesn't emphasize here, it doesn't say uh, in, in, uh, in verse 10 that the Lord was upon him and, he, and because of that he led them to victory, although that is what he does. But it says the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. So you can imagine him saying to the people, you know, our, our problems here aren't military. They're, they're, they're our hearts. We need to return our hearts to God. Before we take action, we need to look at our hearts and ask God what our motivations are and if what we're doing is for the right reasons. And if we're taking the right course of action. We see consistently through the Old Testament, every major character that we are given as an example goes to God and asks of God uh, before they take, make any major decision or take an action. And often when they don't do that, when they fail to do that, they're reproved in some way, or there is some calamity that, 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 that befalls them. This is something that the people of God should still be practicing today. We should be in an ongoing conversation with God about our day-to-day -day concerns. This is what Jesus means when he says, pray without ceasing. All right, so what must they have said when they brought Othniel up as a judge? How are we going to win with this old guy, right? This guy hasn't fought a battle in years, and the last time he won a battle, it was because there was a pretty girl on the line. But he's old now, so that's not happening. And Othniel, he was never fighting for a physical prize. This is what the people probably didn't understand. He fought always for God and God alone. And, and, and we see in Judges 3 that God is the one who gives him the victory. Othniel uh, doesn't just bring victory to the people in a military sense. He doesn't even just bring them righteous judgment, although he does bring them that as well. But uh, we see uh, that he brings them uh, true reform. It says in, in 11, the land had rest for 40 years, then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And then, of course, in the next breath, we're introduced to a new cycle of sin and then oppression by a foreign power and then God raising up a judge. But we see that for the time that Othniel was alive, we're told that the land had rest. Um, heroes, the people we regard as heroes, ha uh, tend to diminish over time. This is just a thing that is that is true throughout history. If you think of the old American heroes, you know, compared to the new ones, I'm not going to give any examples, but you could just let your mind go wherever you wanted to. Uh, they don't really balance, right? 
And the same is true in, in, in biblical history, even in the book of Judges. If we think about um, just uh, a short, a relatively short amount of time down the line, the judge of Samson, a few generations from now, um, yeah, morally uh, is uh, is uh, nowhere from the uh, nowhere in the same realm as uh, Othniel. Samson uh, morally uh, is basically rudderless, whereas Othniel is held up as this great example of faith. Um, there's a quote by a historian. Uh, his name was uh, Henry Adams, and it says, um, "A man." Well, the the gist of the quote roughly is this: that a man who was born in the year 1854 had essentially everything in common with a man born in the year 100 A.D. if they were both Christians. But a man born in 1900 had almost nothing in common with the man born in 1854, just by virtue of how much the world had changed technologically in terms of interconnectedness between countries, um, in terms of the progression of uh, human knowledge. Everyone's worldview had sh had shifted so radically between 1850 and 1900 was what this historian was postulating. Now I don't know about all that, but I do know that we have to go back in time often to find the proper principles. That's to find the goodness, uh, to find uh, that which was uh, was instituted from the beginning. That's why it's called reform, restoration. And in order for us to to reclaim that, in order for us to uh, have our moment where we stand uh, for what we, we believe in. We cast Satan out of his strongholds and defend uh, uh, the the keeps of God. Um, in order for that to happen, men have to act. And, and I, I mean here, uh, men in the sense of human beings. There are ways for all of us to act, men and women, uh, for the people of God to prevail over evil. But particularly in the story of Othniel, we see a man stepping forward and leading the people of God to victory through adhesion to uh, principles that had that had proved true for the generation of his fathers, that had proved true for him, and that he hoped to show would prove true for the generation to come. So that's been your big bird's eye overview of the first three chapters of, Gen of Judges. There's a lot more there, and I've focused in on the character of Othniel. Um, but I wanted to lay that out for you to make a few of these applications that I'm going to make here um, for just a moment. <clears throat> and the applications I'm going to make are fairly simple. We must honor the generation of our fathers. We must honor the generation of our peers. And we must honor the generation of our children. Honor the generation of our father. You know, um, Every everybody grows up and thinks that their kids don't or thinks that their parents don't know anything when they're teenagers, and particularly it seems like uh, I don't know, I don't know. It's just an observation I've found in life is that teenage sons can have a hard time relating to their fathers. Uh, maybe that was just me, but uh, <laughs> you know, our parents do know things, uh, and if we're smart, we'd be better to listen to the knowledge they can impart. You know. I got a piece of advice when I was younger that blew my mind, um, and it changed my my way of viewing everything, which was that um, experience is always worth more than intelligence. Meaning that um, a very a very intelligent young person 
is substantial in practical terms. This was how it was explained to me that in practical terms, uh, a very intelligent young person is substantially stupider, so to speak, than a moderately intelligent uh, older person who's lived and had experience and um, had some time to, to make adjustments in their lives and know what the world has to offer and know who they are. So the point of this advice was listen to people who've been around and who've lived. And that's, uh, that's advice that I've always taken in. And, and it's not just that you should listen to older people because it's a good thing to do. It's that uh, it, it can improve your functionality, uh, both in the physical things of this world and spiritually. Um, this is not to say that the older generation can't be wrong about things, obviously. You know, just because something's always been done a certain way doesn't mean that that's the right way. We know this. But even a person and this is for young people, even a person who's older than you, but you feel you, you can't understand their actions, you think that they're, that they're doing something silly, that older person is basing their actions and thoughts on more information than you have. Uh, and even if uh, you feel you know better, you would do well to listen and learn what we can to honor the values that they upheld, which also align with the values of our Heavenly Father. So let's, let's not be too quick to spurn uh, the advice of those who are older and wiser. But also, we have to honor the generation of our peers. Right? Love your friends enough to tell them when they're about to fall into a trap. The children of Israel uh, fell into idolatry. This was the thing that really plagued them over the course of, of Judges and really through much of their history. And you may not realize it, but... Idolatry is probably still the single greatest spiritual threat that we have facing us today. There are idols everywhere uh, in this world. And uh, it's kind of like uh, Agent Smith from The Matrix. Once you, once you wake up to the existence of these idols all around you, you can't stop seeing them. Um, so what's, what, what's the correct response to that, right? Well, 1 Corinthians uh, 10.5 says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive uh, to obey Christ. That is loving God with the whole heart. That is what uh, Christ meant when he said that it was the greatest command to love God with all your heart. We are living a life for Christ and anything that threatens uh, the knowledge of God and are putting every thought captive to the will of God should be cast down like the idols were cast down uh, from their high places in times of reform in the Old Testament. And the best way we can honor our current contemporary generation, you know, especially if we feel our generation is departing from the truth, is to hold firm, um, is to be the Othniel, the Lion of God who refuses to compromise, who stands uh, stands true against the current of the culture. And finally, we should honor the generation of our children, the generation to come. What kind of world do we want to bring children into? You know, th this is a disturbing thing to me, uh, so I don't want to dwell on it too much, but um, for, I would have to imagine, the first time in American history, 
There is actually a large contingent, and you can find this by opinion polling, of American youth who say it's actually immoral at this point in time to bring children into this world. Now, I think that's crazy, and I think some of that is a backhanded way of defending abortion, and some of that has to do with a irrational fear of, uh, of uh, environmental catastrophe. But I think at its deepest point, it does have a motivation that's spiritual and not physical, this kind of angst. I think there is a pessimistic sense that mankind has irreparably lost its way. Do we want to fall into that trap? Do we want to be like those with no hope? Of course not. But how do we honor our children and leave a better world for them? Well, all of Scripture tells us that the best way to do that is to raise them to follow and know their Creator, God. Um, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. That's not just parenting advice, that's advice about how to make the world a better place. If you raise up your child the way they should go, and those children go forth and become adults that know God, you've done your part. You've made the next generation. You have, in, in, in a very large way, contributed to the generation that comes after you being more holy than the one that came before it. These are things we should think about. And also, you... It, when, when you get the chance to have children, you get to show them what is important. You get to show them what the correct priorities are. You get to show them how to value God over idols. Hopefully that's what you instill in them. And hopefully you help them fight the battles that they don't know how to fight. You help them, you'll build them up and to, to the point that hopefully when they, when they go out on their own that they can, they can uh, fight on their own. Because... There is an enemy out there against them. But that's also their destiny. It's to cast out the strongholds of Satan like Othniel did. That fight is what you raised your children to send them out for. You hope they can best the wiles of the devil. Of course, we all need help. We all should be aspiring to cast out the strongholds of Satan, but... We can only do this through the power of Christ. And, and even Othniel was only able to deliver his people through the power of God. It was not of his own power. But Othniel was the first judge of Israel. And coincidentally, we find he, he comes from, from Judah, just like the last judge of Israel, the last judge of the world, uh, Jesus Christ, the final judge who we will all stand before someday. So when we stand before him, what will we say as in terms of how did, we, how did we deal with the generation that came before us? How did we deal with our own generation? How did we deal with the generation to come? Will we say that we followed the tide? Will we say that we gave in uh, to the way that things were drifting, even when we didn't like them, when we didn't think they followed the will of God? Or will we say that we held to the standards of God for the generation that came before us, for our generation, and for the generation to come. That is all I have this evening, but I thank you guys for your kind attention. If anyone has any need, any spiritual need, need to be baptized, a need to make anything known, or, or a need for prayers, whatever your need may be, 
you you can make that known now or you can make that known privately to any one of the elders here and we would be um the leadership here would be happy to help you um let's all now sing the song that's been announced